0: It's time now for the PDX OWASP podcast, brought to you by the Open Web Application Security Project. The views of the guests do not necessarily represent the views of OWASP, their sponsors, and other stakeholders. Enjoy the show. Our guest today is Frederick Alexanderson. You probably know him better as Stoke. He's a highly regarded Swedish hacker and cybersecurity advisor with passions in technology and sustainable fashion. Our conversation today is about hacking and bug bounties. Stoke brings to the table many years of experience with a refreshingly positive perspective in our never-ending quest to find that next security bug in a dark world we call software. Check out our RSS feed for links to Stoke's website and YouTube videos. Stoke, thank you so much for spending time with us today across the world. Are you in Sweden right now? I am. We're at? Where, where, where in Sweden? I'm in Gothenburg, Sweden on the West Coast.
1: And uh, it's a beautiful... Autumn day out. It's uh, we're slowly getting into that season where you know it's hoodie season coming up. So I'm 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 actually happy about it.
0: Candles and hoodies. Here we go. <laughs> hoodies. Season. Yeah, that's a new one. Yeah, uh, yeah. A few weeks ago we were just talking before this that we had another guest, Dr. Linus Carlson from Sweden, and just a lot of good securities coming out of Sweden, right? Yeah, absolutely. I guess that
1: primarily has to do that we have. Quite easy access to computers and and fast internet access all over mostly like we got four G everywhere and and at early age people just started to get internet quite early you know around the
0: early nineties nice now you've been doing this for quite a while how did this whole thing start for you in the world of security well I, I, I I'm I'm actually from the blue team side that's it
1: you know I've hmm. I've, I've spent I don't know forty thousand hours or something as a consultant hardening active directory and doing all that stuff and I realized that I don't know if you're if you're familiar with the windows environment but sometimes things just break and that that that's how it works and you, they and companies usually need some external party to get in and solve that shit that you just Got broken. I managed to be in a situation to be just that guy, the the one that the people called when the shit actually hit the fan. And I realized where over time that I understand where people sheet or where they misconfigure stuff or totally just don't understand things. Uh, and I started to be very very good at just I- identifying misconfiguration and then just hardening stuff. So um, that's kind of how I moved over into. The offensive side of things, because I realized that a lot of people do things that they don't really think is bad, but can mm. be really, really bad if you do it in the wrong way.
0: So, yeah, that's how we went. That's interesting. We had a guest just recently. It was like the opposite. Like most guests that I talk to, they start on the, uh, the offensive side. And then over time, they say, okay, but yeah, I think you're one of the first to actually start on the defensive side and went over to the offensive, which is pretty interesting. You have a really popular YouTube channel. And by the way, the way I found you, Happenstance was you had this episode about VI and Vim. I said, this is cool. <laughs> and for me, I'm an old timer and VI, VI, a VI I still call VI, it goes back a long time. Mm-hmm. But my biggest takeaway from your videos is your positive attitude towards hacking and it's contagious. And I'm sure a lot of people ask you, how did you get your start in hacking? And I found one of your episodes where you were talking about something called mental hacking. What is mental hacking? For me, mental hacking is like, it's a way to force yourself
1: into certain patterns, just like computers, right? We are programmable. And and if we, let's say that you think about, I don't know, you think about red oranges every day and Then eventually you will end up seeing oranges everywhere and the color red everywhere. Because our minds kind of work that way. It's like most people, when they realize that their spouse or somebody is pregnant, you see pregnant people everywhere. That, because that's kind of what you're focusing on. So mental hacking for me is just to be able to understand that your brain is programmable. And if you add positive things to it, hey, positive things might just happen. So that, that's mental mm-hmm. hacking for me.
0: Interesting. Another question may come up. Can anyone be a hacker? I was talking with yet another previous guest about people they worked with over the years. And many of them didn't come from a computer science background. And for example, one person was a chef and while another was from a completely different industry. From your experience, and particularly for probably the red team side, is there a specific psychological profile that people fall into that may help you determine whether or not they're going to be a good hacker or is it just a roll of the dice? Do they need to come from non-traditional versus traditional backgrounds?
1: Kind of helps if you come from a traditional background because then you know the basics of everything, right? It, it's always easier to understand how to take something apart if you understand how it's built. That, that, that is the traditional way to look at it. But then again, the concept of being in a hacker, at least for me, is it it's just a it's not a title you earn. It's just a mindset that you put on and a title that you decide to have. A hacker is some anyone that just likes to ask the question why does this work in this particular way and what can I do with it? To do something else. That that's kind of the whole concept around it. And, and it can be your own mind, it can be your computer, it can be your it can be your bio- biology. It's all these different things. Hackers are everywhere. And but for me personally, to be able to be a good, let's say, offensive person or red teamer or something, you need to think extremely creative because you are always on the verge of new research. You're always trying to getting the head of side inside of the developer that created that solution that you want to understand how to take apart and you're using and misusing a lot of protocols and communication channels and different stuff Mm -hmm. just to get to your means met and and i think that's really interesting but it requires a very creative
0: mindset do you remember obviously you started on the blue team side but when you when you went over to the other side towards the light, do you remember your first vulnerability and what was it and how did it make you feel?
1: My first vulnerability was, of course, like some kind of internal thing that, that I did during the hardening things because my work was to use protect against that. But I would say my first bug bounty, when I got into bug bounties and and realized that, oh my God, you're actually allowed to hack on these major companies and you can do almost anything you want at it. As long as you're not stepping out of the scope or just trashing it completely, it's kind of like you can do whatever you want. And I realized that, wow, you can actually do that and you're allowed to do it. Um, Since I have an infrastructure background, my first bug class that I went for, uh, because I didn't have any real AppSec experience, Mm -hmm. I can't code for shit, to be honest, but I understand logic. So I went for race conditions, right? And I were able to use this website in a malicious way that I could actually make money just by raising certain requests in their system. And that that was like mind-blowing mind blowing for me, I'm like, huh, oh, cool, I'm allowed to do this nobody's gonna no nobody's gonna put me behind bars for doing this and they're actually grateful for me to do it, and they're paying me money for it amazing
0: <laughs> so. so if you don't mind what was what's your biggest bug bounty so far uh I think it, the most
1: I made in a days like I think during a competition would be about forty five thousand dollars
0: nice and and this leads to another question about say someone who Might be considering quitting their day job to become a full time hacker. And it's a risk, like anything else, especially if they got a family. But is hacking similar to, say, like the NBA, where maybe they're going to, they think they're going to be that star, but maybe only a few really make it up to that pillar. But it sounds like what you're saying is it's more of a lifestyle and it's just a lot of hard work and imagination, right? It's all hard work. You know, anyone
1: can be, uh, in theory, you know, if you look at Michael Jordan, you're like, okay, he's totally good basketball, probably a talent. He woke up one morning, knew that basketball is going to be his thing. It's actually the opposite. The hours and hours and hours he invested with a super strong mental mind to produce this kind of stuff that he did is mind blowing. But yeah, anyone can actually do it. The limitation is, are you willing to invest the time? And are you strong enough mentally to do it long term? Because Bounties isn 't a sprint it 's a marathon you will There will mm. be weeks and weeks where you will hit what is defined as a dry spot or something where you you're, you're, you can 't find any bugs maybe or the program that you hacked on like they 're really slow on paying out so that ninety day limit you got a couple of bugs, but you're not getting paid for two months. You need kind of to plan for it. So waking up one morning and saying, hoo-ha, I'm going to be a full-time bug bounty hunter, but I have no experience of pen testing. It's going to be a bit challenging, but it's doable.
0: Let's say you were put on the proverbial deserted island with your top three favorite hacking tools. Mm. What tools would they be?
1: By far, Burp Suite. I I, I mean, I live and die by Burp Suite. And it seems so ridiculous, but, you know, it's one of the tools that I use every day. Uh, So I would definitely go for that. The second tool would be, for me, Twitter. (laughs) It seems weird, but but InfoSec Twitter is the way to go where you – if, you, if, like if, if there's a new zero day out, if there's some new communication going on, if there's all this kind of information that's floating through, Infosec Twitter is really fast on provi- providing that information. And it's an easy way for you to just identify stuff. Third one would be Google because I Google things all the time. Maybe there's a stack trace, maybe there's this weird reply that I get. There's going to be somebody else, just a most likely a developer uh, on uh, Stack Overflow that says, well, this weird thing happens when I did this, blah, 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 what should I do? And, and posting like a full stack trace or something. The thing with bug bounties is that these are battle hardened targets. There's like almost everything is blind today. It's super hard to just figure out what's going going on. And, but you can get the idea of kind of what technology it is when developers just push their whole, oh, this is my error. And you, you, you'll get the idea from there. So Google, by far, these are my top three tools.
0: It got me thinking, you know, you wake up and you decide you want to do this. It reminds me of a bit of, say, like musicians, like classical guitarists, where they go through this traditional sense of learning how to play an instrument but sometimes they says well what do you do to warm up and some say well i'm going to do scales i'm going to do this and some say i just go off and do my own thing for a while and come back how can somebody say they're just starting a new come into it is it really by doing these events but how can they prepare for them as well like you said there's a skill set right that they need to come up to speed with right
1: yeah sadly the there's there's just <laughs> it's grit. <laughs> it, it, it's investing time in trying to see stuff and then the experience of realizing when it's vulnerable. You will get that spider sense after a while, right? Mm-hmm. And it could be let's say you're you're finding a subdomain and you're entering it and it just f- feels vulnerable it's that it's this is old this is sketchy what why does it do this and then eventually you'll just you realize that it either like really old legacy shit that's just stuck there for edges and everybody forgot about it or it's some instance that a developer just spun up like really just to test and that is Super dangerous as well, especially on open scopes where you can get access to internal systems and pivot further on. So that that would be a problematic thing. But I would say the skill set is in, and, and this is usually how this is how I did it with with no real app sex skill. I just I, I took my browser and I uh, started Burp, and Burp is a is a proxy server. It's kind of a manual middle tool that will look at all the traffic between your browser and the server. So and you can modify responses and requests if you want to. But if you just have it um, passively running, you will see the traffic that your browser generates. And that's super interesting because it, it, it turns from being this beautiful screen of information that you usually look at to this stream of other information, matrix kind of style, yeah. where this get and post request just flushes through and all these different HTTP uh, error codes and responses. And after a while, your brain's going to start to get used to seeing that flow and you will find what I define as the anomalies because those are the things that are interesting the things that doesn't really fit the normal pattern and if you can play around with that you'll realize that oh my god I, I, I just changed this character here and I got this totally different response that wasn't intended to be and maybe if you're lucky some developer didn't think about that too, and bam, there's a bug. Does someone need to know how to code to be a good hacker? I would, I would say it's you don't have to, but it, it, I realized <laughs> that if I knew JavaScript better, it would be so much faster for me to do certain things. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've definitely come to where I'm at without knowing how to code at all. I, I know. PowerShell, but you can't really PowerShell stuff in web app testing, right? So it's it's a different thing. But if you learn, like, like even basic bash is amazing for automation, like doing your bash stuff. And today the open source community is, especially in bounties, is so strong and so growing. And everybody's just sharing all these new tools and ideas and scanners and automation that anyone, like if you're there's two ways to do it. You can either just head into bounties, which is super competitive and kind of gig economy where you only get paid for the, the stuff that you you find based on impact. Or you can take all that knowledge that this community that, like I said, is highly competitive creates and just implement that into your your business, like if you're a developer, hey, test your own stuff. And maybe if you're a pen test firm, maybe you know you can use some of those tools to help with your daily automation to make sure that you give more value to the customer because you're using some of the tools that are created to find anomalies or weird stuff in some of the most hardened targets out there. So,
0: yeah. So I want to talk to you about your sense of independence. And this is another takeaway. And as I mentioned before, you, you have this positive image through social media, through YouTube, Twitter, you know, we kind of have an industry where you have to be a bit skeptical, a bit jaded because of things we see, right? And in, insecurity, but you keep it on the high. What is your mental preparation before, during, and say, even after a bug bounty event? It's like you said before, it's a marathon. So I imagine you have to decompress after that. What's your process in all of this? Oh,
1: yeah, no, absolutely. If it's, let's say, if it's a live hacking event, that that usually lasts a couple of days, right? And so what would happen is that a couple of weeks before the event, the scope is going to be announced. Like, okay, who's invited to invent into, into this live hacking event? What, what is the scope going to be? What targets are we going to find? What's going to be in scope? What's going to be out of scope? What are the client looking for? What are the most interesting and such? And then I'll go all in like 2 weeks that's the only thing i do i eat sleep function and and just breathe that because i want to i want i want to create a muscle memory around the target i want to know what they're doing like i'm testing everything every single aspect of the app like a user just to understand what are they doing and after that you know in a combination of trying to find vulnerabilities on the way what's going to happen is that your brain is going to be really really drained right and and mm-hmm. it's highly competitive so it's first come first serve if you're not sending the bug in you're going to dupe out and that's nothing for you so time invested is, is not something that you're getting paid for so afterwards usually I'm toast my brain's been on for like super creative trying to figure out this weird kind of new ways because you some of these targets has been tested over and over and over and over again so you need to find new creative ways to just exploit them and so you're drained so i usually me and and most of the people on disturbance which is my uh the the, the team that i'm hacking with we we just decompress right like mm-hmm. the next the week after it i'm like If I see another computer, I'm going to vomit like now. (laughs) So I'm I'm, I'm not doing computer stuff and 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 having this kind of burnout where I'm like fucking hate computers. Never going to open Twitter again. I can't have this. I'm I'm, and then suddenly you know one day you wake up and you're having your coffee and you're realizing that maybe just maybe I should see what's happening on the internet again. And then you there's you know this i know this you're only as good as your understanding of the latest firmware right because there's going to be every week there's some new shit going on yep. and then you see that and you it backs you you get like oh man, i'm i'm intrigued Maybe I should look into that and boom, you're back at it again. So it, it, that's how it works. It's the ebb and flow of bounties. You have good periods and bad periods, but dealing with mental health and positive attitude in between that's key. So Yeah. yeah, that's, that's why I'm like, it's easy for us in this industry to be very negative about everything because we see things that are broken all the time. It's like, it's like, let's say that you're a mall cop. You're going to hate kids because they <laughs> they they just destroy stuff all the time. Like, man, I wish we had old customers, not these kids <laughs> hanging around. And that's that's a danger with our industry as well, is that we get... We don't dig users, and it's always somebody else's fault. And we see all this negativity, and I just decide I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm going to be, vi- I'm, I'm going to be the good vibes only kind of guy that just fucking loves security for the main purpose of exploiting stuff and understanding things and being curious. I'm always curious about how things work, and that's that's just the mindset that I through my process of mental hacking decided to have because i could just be as depressed and sad as anyone
0: else i I just, I just don't want to be that person. Coming to what's happening today, how has the COVID pandemic affected the world of the bug bounties? Is Are, are you seeing more? Or is it that's because a lot of it's obviously done remotely. Has that changed at all in, in that world? Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: No, I had a bunch of live hacking
0: events planned for
1: this year and uh, and, and, and all got canceled, right? So, so mm-hmm. there's no international traveling. There's, there's no getting together with my friends. And to be honest, I feel shit about it. But then again, you can't just let that pull you down. And the industry as full has, has really like exploded. More and more people, like let's say for the Zoom bugs, right? In the beginning yeah. everybody has started to use Zoom and the amount of CBEs on Zoom just. <laughs> used- exploded <laughs> then everybody has started to use vpns and f5 just caught on fire so so because people are looking at the things that yeah they just have more time to poke at stuff and 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 i think that's the reason the idle hands are the devil's playground somebody said and said and if you're sitting at home and chilling but at the same time you have this possibility to just poke at stuff that makes you a little bit curious and intrigued i think people do you can only watch as much, much Netflix, right? So eventually you're going to get bored. And yeah. that's what's happening with people. They just poke at stuff. And then things turns into flames. Dumps the fires.
0: Yeah. And maybe it just takes your mind off of everything, too. You, you know, your focus on something that you and you love to do as opposed mm. to just feeling depressed looking out the window so
1: yeah and nothing beats the adrenaline rush of getting a good bug though that 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 bug fever you know i had one the other night i was hacking on this stuff and i found this vulnerability and i'm like "Ooh, this is nice and and you and i worked on the poc i sent it in and then it's like goodbye good night's sleep that's not gonna (laughs) happen because the brain is just thinking about the report or how can i build on that and and you're excited maybe it's to dupe. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a lot of money. Maybe it's nothing. And and, and, and you're having that adrenaline rush and just waiting for the triage to get back to you. I love that feeling though. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not sad about it. I'm not sad about
0: it. Hey, Stoke, do you have any upcoming events or things that you want to promote or talk about now? I would say I'm starting this
1: newsletter that I'm going to be sending out where where I'm just going to get more into the things that I I... It takes a lot of time to record videos and I have a lot of information. And in and just to get a, a faster thing for people to get engaged in, I figured that okay, if I have a communication channel like a newsletter, that might just speed things up for people to get ahead of the game because I can I moved on to just producing my show Bounty Thursdays every other week because I got overwhelmed by just creating it every week. So mm. I'm I'm going to do that. So head over to stokefrederick.com, sign up for the the newsletter, or just check out my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com/stokefrederick.
0: I would say that's it, and that's the thing that I need to promote. We'll definitely put the stuff in our RSS feed as mm-hmm. well for people. Stoke, wonderful, wonderful interview. Great advice. Such a pleasure talking with you. And if you ever come to the portland area stop by love to talk to you here
1: i would love to as soon as i'm allowed to get back to the u.s without any kind of COVID regulations i'm definitely (laughs) heading to the portland area and seattle and tacoma so absolutely thank you thank you for having me
0: to hear this podcast again visit anywhere a podcast is played for more information go to owasp.org forward slash www forward slash chapter forward slash Portland.